You are listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. that time joe what time it is that time what time it is that time it's like zulu time like in england and stuff zulu time what is that it's like utc in utc zero i don't know what, anything you just said it's very important okay so you'll explain it to me at some other time okay uh, but for now it's that time what's that time it's that time okay <laughs> but what time Digital noise time. Oh, hey. Hi. We're going to talk about Blu-rays. Yeah. And, and some DVDs too. I like to call this week pure suffering. Yeah. It's, it's a uh, shitty with, with a chance of, uh, corn kernels. Yeah. It's, you know, some weeks you get given like a, just a, a cornucopia of fun and different, even if they're not good, they're like, interesting at least some weeks you just get a shit sandwich yeah and, and so anyway welcome to digital noise <laughs> this week's shit sandwich which didn't just say everything here is bad for sure there's stuff here i really liked but there's a lot of disappointments yeah i i wouldn't say this is a rewatch episode <laughs> yeah uh, no i wouldn't say it is either even of the stuff i liked i'm like yeah exactly i would read i did that. that i'm done with it but you know what let's uh just head right into it and start off with our first film which is the um wow how do i i, I was gonna say much maligned but is it really worse than the other saw movies or is it better right it's the not the first one so like what yeah the new <laughs> saw film jigsaw which I, you know, I, okay, so full disclosure, I saw the first movie, uh-huh. thought it was just okay. Okay. I was like, and then everyone loved it. And I was like, did y'all see the same movie I just did? <laughs> I saw the second one, went, wow, that was bad. Mm-hmm. Never went back again until the last one, the one before it supposedly ended the Saw series. Right. Yeah, supposedly, and, what happened to that? And apparently it had gotten so convoluted and plot heavy and cast all these soap opera level quality of actors mm-hmm. that I was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> I was like, look, it's a, a Saw movie and I, I couldn't follow the plot. It's it's a it's a Cloverfield uh, franchise. Yeah, it was weirdly convoluted, but I was like, okay, this series is garbage. Not interested. Okay, all that being said, here it is, several years later, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. of course, because horror franchises can never die, much right? Like the because and, there might be money left on the table. Indeed, uh, they were like, well, we're going to bring it back, except now we're going to retitle instead of calling it Saw, we're going to call it Jigsaw, which of course. Jesus Christ, cats are exploding everywhere. Uh, well, they got scared of Jigsaw. Yeah, apparently. Um, which, of course, is the, the nom de plume or nom de kill yeah. of, <laughs> uh, of our killer from that particular series, or at least sometimes. Because the actual Jigsaw killer died, I think, a couple movies ago. Supposedly, question marks. Right. Except now, here in this new story, which, you know, I, I meant, I was like, okay, I'm interested to see this because directed by the Spirit Brothers, who did some movies I really liked. Like? Uh, like Daybreakers. I never saw it. Really good movie. Or no Undead. Or uh, Predestination. Three movies I really enjoyed. Uh, not so much their latest movie, either Winchester, which is not good. Oh, is it not? It is not. Well, so how, what did Sam and Dean solve in that? <laughs> no, no Sam and Dean in that one. 
But uh, in this particular one, we see there is somebody else has kidnapped a bunch of people and is putting them through the saw traps and with the little thing with the, the little the guy on the tricycle. Little I, I believe the term thing. is doing some jigsaw shit. Yeah. And uh, with the voice, of course, being played through these recordings of the guy who was the jigsaw killer, Tobin Bell. So you're asking yourself wait, how is this movie going to make it where somehow this guy who was dying of cancer, but then I believe died much more graphically on screen. Yeah, of like super cancer. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it was super cancer, but <laughs> I think he died in the sense that like, okay, he's definitely dead. In a movie series that doesn't have supernatural elements. Right, yeah. yeah. None of this is hocusy pocusy. Right. Uh, so how could he possibly be alive? And we see on the other side, there's like a series of detectives. There's two, who, there are two, there's a detective... And then there's like, like a what the the chick who who runs forensics. Well, the assistant forensics chick. The, the assistant assistant forensics <laughs> chick. Like there's like various different people investigating us, and then they start mysteriously investigating each other. Like it's one of those right off the bat. He's like, I suspect our forensics team. You're like, you do what? Okay, why? But uh, <laughs> all right, yeah. <laughs> And it just starts getting into really dumb, typical jigsaw, like, convoluted, without explanation, plot territory rather quickly. That being said, I will give this at least the, you could have just watched this movie and none of the others if you just had a vaguest idea of what the series was about. Sure, and, yeah. And not feel like, I don't understand what's happening. I mean, it is it is dog shit, but it's not the dog shittest of them. No, of the three, uh, four that I've seen, because I one, two, the last one, and this one. Um, I, I mean, it's, I wouldn't say it's better than the first one, which still isn't very good, but mm-hmm. it's much better than the other two I saw. It's better than, uh, the, the one that I saw was where X Japan came out of retirement to do a song for the soundtrack. I don't oh, remember no. which one Are that is. Are you serious? Is. Really? Yeah. Wow. Of I all think it was, movies. I think it was like five. Oh my God. I don't know. It was one of them. That's, that's horrific. It really was. <laughs> yeah. This just like, I mean, it's more the same. It's a series of like. You know, elaborate traps, and you go, oh, how are they going to get out of this? I mean, really, if there's any pleasure to be had in this movie, it's just watching how they figured out these traps. Like, the, mm-hmm. the, 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 the that, yeah, that's team. true. That was the only thing that it was like, oh, man, well, they got to put their thinkers on. Yeah. yeah. You know, like either how they get out of it or just in general how the team who wrote the film came up with a new series of cool traps. Mm. But nothing here is really all that inventive or awesome. I'm like, okay, nothing will ever match the the reverse bear trap from the first movie. No. Which was definitely the coolest and grotiest. So I will say, uh, I got some new monitors for, for my, my little home rig, mm-hmm. uh, the computer monitors, and so they're, they're 2K, and they're like, why not 4K? Because I don't have any 4K content. That would be stupid for me to get a 4K TV. Sure. Uh, but anyway, watching everything this week uh, through those 2K monitors, uh, you get to see, like, okay, Blu-rays actually are kind of worth it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, they, they, you definitely, when you start looking at, like, yeah, when I start watching some of my older DVDs, I'm just like, Jesus, this looks terrible on yeah. widescreen. <laughs> Holy shit. You forget, yeah, if you have a widescreen TV, that's when you can tell Blu-rays are better. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and certainly, yeah, if you get the 2K TV. Uh, anyway, yeah, so if this is your thing, and once again, if you're a Saw fan, I don't, I think this is far from the worst in the series, but it's, but if you're not, there's absolutely no reason to go watch this film. <laughs> no. Just because it's the Spirit Brothers and you may have liked other films from them, this is not another a triumphant saving of a series here. No, this isn't the, the hallowed return of anything. Uh, I mean, being said, you do get to, you know, the one, one of the big mistakes the series always made was killing Tobin Bell off so early because he really is a great 
serial killer. Yeah, his, his yeah. character is terrific. And they find a way to indeed include him in this film. So it's like, nice. So, oh, well, we get to see a little more Tobin Bell. Plus, he gets a little bit of cash. You know, everybody's yeah, happy. Everybody's happy, especially Tobin Bell. Except for the viewers. Except for the viewers, yeah. But if you do pick this up, it's got audio commentary with the producers, because who, of course, wants doesn't want to hear a commentary with the guys who wrote the checks. Exactly. Um, I know, the, the producers, really? You're not... Okay. I admit, the, the Spirit Brothers have, in multiple interviews, kind of disowned this. They have flat out said this was a work for work for hire. Mm, mm-hmm. like, we took a check. Direct for pay. Yeah. Uh, there is a hour and 21 minute The Legacy of Jigsaw documentary, which I did not watch because I don't care, but apparently fans of the series have said this is actually kind of essential if you're a fan of Saw. It's okay, well, if you're a fan, buy it for the extras. Yeah, buy it for the extras. <laughs> and then there's a six and a half minute look at uh, a tour of basically all the traps from the property master, the guy who put them all together. So, Which is, seems like the kind of extra you would want on a Saw film. You'd think so, yeah. I guess so. I'm not thrilled with this. This is not my pick of the week. What? No. Okay, that's fine. Uh, next one you didn't get to see, and be glad, because I, 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 I saved you. I looked it up, and I was like, mm, okay. Yeah, this is Arrow's re-release. Arrow right now is on this, which is a great distribution company for like little hidden gems. Some people really love horror director H.G. Lewis, mm-hmm. uh, calling him the, 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 uh, the, what, the godfather of gore. And... You know, it's true. He was really the first guy to sort of start do mega gory films that, by the way, when you watch, they look terrible. Yeah. You're like, the gore is totally unconvincing and bad. It's horrible, horribly done. But it is what it is. He was making these films back in the, the 60s, Herschel Gordon Lewis. And uh, we reviewed recently the, you know, some of the m- more better known ones. This one, The Gruesome Twosome was uh, made in 1967, and it was his attempt to do a horror comedy, which is to say it's ham-handed and terrible. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, I, it, there are points it's just so absurd. You will – I could totally see enjoying this on a sort of laughing at it completely level. You know, it okay. starts off with two mannequin heads that they're like kind of – somebody behind it is shaking them a little to give them talking, and then somebody puts a knife into the top of one of them oh. and it comes out. It's just like, what is happening in this movie? But the basic idea is there's this lady – uh, who runs a uh, wig shop that signs real human hair. Well, Whoa. But she also has a room for rent. So when women come in going, hey, I'd like to take a look at the room, guess what happens? She's all like, I'm sorry, your hair is not lustrous. No. <laughs> well, she uh, has a mutated, I guess, son, I think. Yeah, mentally disabled, kind of mutated son, Rodney, who uh, she basically goes, oh, the room's back here, and she lets them into the room, and then she closes the door behind him, and Rodney kills them graphically. Okay. Usually scalps them on camera. But I was going to say, no blood on the hair, please. Uh, yeah, right. Well, he's not good at that. I guess they just wash it after. <laughs> the girls are disappearing. Meanwhile, there's this girl who basically thinks she's Nancy Drew going to the local college, who's like, who's like, even boyfriend is frustrated. All you think about Nancy is solving crimes. Oh, it's well, very, like, she has her first love and it's not you, dude. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was like, you know, you should encourage her. <laughs> I don't understand why she's not in the criminology department, for one thing, but you know, she's decided she's going to figure out what's happening and of course eventually she gets to that point and still no one believes her and yada yada it's a, it's a it's a series of regular hg lewis style kills with like this very i guess sort of making fun of shows like the hardy boys and stuff i guess i'm not okay. sure what was going on at the time i don't think that stuff was i guess the books were popular oh uh, old chat um <laughs> 
And the one thing I thought was funny is she's got a, the old grandmother's got a stuffed, like, uh, I don't know what it is, like a puma, cheetah, something like that, that she just constantly talks to. She's like, isn't that right? Whenever she's talking to anyone else. And Uh, and you're like, no one ever, yeah, no one ever thinks that's weird. You're just like, um, she's constantly referring to that, that stuffed cat. Something is slightly off here. Either she talks to it or us. And quite frankly. Yeah. Right. Um, either way, I can't, I definitely am not going to be able to give this a recommendation. Anyone but someone who already knows they're an H.G. Lewis fan, hey, they're definitely out there. He had his mark in history. It's just not everybody who did something first is really worth revisiting. That's right. A mark is just a mark. There's a bonus feature, um, A Taste of Blood, uh, which is... Well, the original, the Grism Doosome is only 72 minutes, so at least it's relatively unpainful in that sense. A Taste of Blood is almost two hours long, and the introduction to it, H.G. Lewis is like, I'm proud to say it's the longest movie ever made back when people didn't make movies this long, which I'm not sure is true. But (laughs) apparently it has very little blood. It's sort of a Dracula movie. No and way. it's incompetently made like your average H.G. Lewis. So I have no idea why anyone outside of the most dedicated historian of H.G. Lewis films would want to sit through this. Thing. <laughs> were they not vampires? They were Draculas? Yeah. I, I, yeah. It's like, and it's sort of, it's one of those, like, oh, it's not Dracula, but it's a guy who drinks his stuff and it makes him into a Dracula, which isn't a thing. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it is what it is. It's uh, it's an Arrow release. Uh, there's bonus features where they, a uh, famous drag performer named Peaches Christ, who's a big H.G. Lewis, actually gives some rather insightful analysis of H.G. Lewis and what he was doing and why he's still important. No, okay. I'm not sure I agree with, but it's, you know, it is what it is. It's interesting to see that there are people who are really big fans. She says his movies are fantasies about dealing with bullies and confronting your own f- fears. Once again, it's cool. super, it's super campy stuff. If, if you like it, you like it. If you don't, I don't blame you. Speaking of stuff, I don't see you liking outside of ironically in any way. No, not even ironically. Not even ironically. Okay, I wasn't sure because I know sometimes Joe, you like genuinely enjoy stuff on an ironically bad. Sure, one. this was not one. Geostorm is not one that you liked ironically. I mean, okay. So the one thing I did like is the first time they name dropped the title, and and the dude has done some serious computations. He goes. Oh no, this might result in a Geostorm. Turns to the camera, Geostorm. <laughs> and that put that titles. was the enjoyment. That was it. Yeah. This is Dean Devlin, who long has been partnered up with Roland Emmerich as a producer. Mm-hmm. But this is his first directorial debut, making what, for all extents and purposes, is a Roland Emmerich film. Let's, let's take a pause here. Uh, the budget was 120 mil. Yeah. Made 217 mil. Yeah. This shit will probably be made again. Yeah. <laughs> there'll there'll People, be a Geostorm too. Well, it's one of those, when you see a movie like this, it looks like a dumb, fun time to have in the theater, right? It looks like it. The problem is, despite a $120 million budget, where did it go? These I effects are not good. It, it certainly <laughs> didn't go into all that hacking. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, the idea is like, it's near future, there's been many big natural disasters due to us fucking up our own planet, and uh, Gerard Butler and a team of scientists develop this huge satellite that's internationally controlled that uh, basically seeds the atmosphere and can immediately counter any big weather mm-hmm. event that's mm-hmm. happening. It's got heat rays and it's got cold rays. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it can do stuff. Uh, 
And they're like, okay. And he apparently is one of those guys. He's a maverick and he can't keep his mouth shut. And so when basically the U.S. government's like, well, we're going to take it back. So now we control it or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. Cause he was, he was writing problem. checks that the government could have cash yeah. basically. So, um, he gets kicked out and her years later, his little brother is working for the government government played by uh, Jim, Jim Sturgis, who's the one who comes to get him when it's revealed that someone has hacked the satellite and is causing massive, like, mega storms using the satellite to create the opposite effect as intended. That's right. And it looks like maybe it's political and motivation. Do we want to say what the dumbass name of this this uh, satellite project is? What, Dutch Boy? Yeah. Yeah, because it puts its <laughs> finger in the dike uh-huh. and uh, stops the, yep. the flood. Yeah, that's pretty stupid. Yeah, um... I, I hate to say it, but this makes 2012 look like a real masterpiece. It kind of did. Because really there were does. zero ships and mountains. Which is the same movie except without a lame, like, political, like, spy plot. Yeah, well, and without Gerard Butler doing, Anything. I think, a uh, Walter Matthau impersonation. I, know, I think that's what he's Because his mouth work was disgusting. You've got Abby Cornish playing uh, the fiance of Gerard Butler's uh, younger brother. Secret agent, who's, hot who's stuff. Secret, yeah, yeah see, she's a U.S. Secret Service agent who constantly does stuff that would get anyone fired and probably arrested for treason almost immediately. Mm-hmm. Ed Harris is the Secretary of State. Andy Garcia plays the president. Um, there's a variety of, you know, recognizable television-level yeah. actors throughout this thing. But there's nothing really... There's, you know, you, you, these type of films, you're like, okay, we're waiting for the scene where everything goes badass and the cool action and it's dumb. The only scene in this whole thing that I thought worked at all is there's a car chase that was where Abby Cornish is driving that I yep, thought was yeah. relatively mm-hmm. cool. And, but that's not even weather oriented really, despite some bad CG lightning. Yeah, no, it's just car oriented. <laughs> yeah, just the car stuff. I was like, oh, that was actually pretty well done, but this is, it was just boring. Right? Am I wrong? Was no, 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 no. Well, like the moment Ed Harris appears, you're, I'm just like, oh, okay, I know how this is going. Yeah, yeah, kind of. <laughs> yeah, you're like, um, you're just ripping off a lot of other people who are better at doing trash than you are, Dean Devlin. The one thing that I can say, like, okay, good on you, is uh, there's a scene where where uh, Gerard Butler's talking to everybody else on the International Space Station, and the British guy's giving him shit for being American. He's like, well, I was born in England, and then I was raised in America. So I was like, okay, well, so that's why you sound stupid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, what's his name from Misfits? The guy who was the main character and then left the show. I, I always forget his name. But um, uh, Robert Sheehan. Yeah. There's stuff that's supposed to be funny and it's just not funny. No. It just no. falls flat. Almost yep. all the jokes in this thing. I just, I know you guys out who are out there who are like, oh man, this looks like the kind of thing that I, I have fun with with some friends and some beers. It really is. This is not Triple X, The Return of Xander Cage. And that, even that wasn't that movie, but you loved it. It was fantastic. I think I gave you, gave you that one. I gave, conquered, whatever. Yeah. Uh, there's some bonus features here. There's a six and a half minute featurette that looks at uh, the mix of practical and CGI effects they use which really because it just looked bad um there's a four minute the search for answers which looks like which is about how the film's plot was come up with between dean devlin and his very young daughter no big surprise there uh there's a an international cast for almost six minutes which looks like all the actors from around the the country who work on the uh, from around the world who work on the space station uh and then trailers for other movies but no this is yeah 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 i was like i was expecting to at least have somewhat fun with this and it's just um 
also very disappointing for me. And I do know a few people who like this movie, but for me, the new George Clooney uh, written and directed film Suburbicon was a huge letdown. Mm-hmm. And I know I wasn't, it gotten to the point where I had already heard from the theatrical release. Don't expect too much, but this feels like, a really like the worst Coen Brothers movie is what it feels. That's like. what I was thinking. I was I was like, man, this is like a shitty wannabe Coen movie. Well, and then oh hey, they had a hand. <laughs> yeah, they 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 wrote the original script that this evolved from. In fact, from what I remember hearing, this was written before they even wrote Blood Simple. Okay, like way back when. Uh, and then they decided not to produce it. Oh, good good harder. call. You know, there's stuff here that you're like, this should be a good movie. I keep going, why isn't this a good movie? But there's just so many missteps throughout this thing. Well, because I, I think the characteristic, like, Cohen surrealism never came through. And it was just very flat and sort of middle of the road trying to do something, maybe. Yeah. But it didn't it didn't actually do anything to actually get there. Well, it's like there's a whole racism thing in there that's this, crowbarred yeah. in here, but then really feels like kind of an afterthought. It's awkward the way it's handled and uncomfortable. Because it, com- it just jumps out, like, yeah. in random times. Well, all right. So it takes place in 1959. It's an all-white neighborhood called Suburbicon um, that's a little shooken up when an African-American family, you know, very well-to-do, moves in. Uh, and everyone's, you know, as this running subtext throughout the movie that ultimately has very little to do with anything in the film outside of, once again, having something to say, I guess. Uh, the town is gradually building up and, like, you know, doing things like in the middle of the night, playing instruments outside their house, anything they can think of to get rid of them. Uh, but the story is actually about Matt Damon, who plays Gardner Lodge, who lives with his wife, Julianne Moore, and her twin sister. Julianne Moore. Julianne Moore. Also played by Julianne Moore. And uh, we, you know, I mean, he lives a, he works a, the, office job in the 50s. He's a functionary, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, but they're doing well enough to live in a relatively well-off neighborhood. Um, And one night, these mob guys come into their house and uh, murder his wife and uh, and leave the rest of them thoroughly shaken. Well, it's like flashed a little bit afterwards and, you know, the sister is still staying with them and it's revealed, you know, it's revealed overtly, but if you but not overtly almost immediately that Matt Damon's fucking the sister. Yeah. So clearly some shenanigans are afoot and it turns into one of those films. It's like a crime film about somebody trying to cover up their crimes who thought they had gotten away with it. Who didn't really know what they were doing. They're fish out of water as other things around them and other people who were involved in this situation start escalating it, which once again is the most Coney brothers sounding thing imaginable, but it's not funny when it's trying to be funny. It's kind of nauseating at points. The the moral issues it's trying to cram down your throat yeah. like are just done in a way that's distastefully, like, I don't know, broad. Well, so it, it was really trying to sell itself on. And sometimes things aren't what they always seem. So, yeah, it's that's life. Okay. So this isn't done spectacularly. So I see how all of this could happen. Not impressed. No. And, and, and it just makes it worse that it is trying to throw in this this uh, social strata racial thing in there when it only – it's not really there to say anything. It's there to escalate the 
level of events that are going on around the actual plot of the movie where it's mm-hmm. like, oh, there's chaos going on outside, which distracts people from the fact there's murders going on and violence inside this. You know, I mean, to make a statement, it's like, oh, nobody's even paying attention to the actually terrible white people as opposed to the completely peaceful, smart and well off black people who they are protesting. Right. It's like, they, wow, what do you actually and <laughs> But they, they never actually take the time to make the black people people. Yeah. There's no characterization of them all together whatsoever. There's this lame attempt to go, you see the white son and the black son are really good friends because they're children and they don't have all these preconceived notions and you're like, is there anything in here that you have to say that wouldn't fit in a single panel newspaper Sunday's funnies cartoon? <laughs> right, a bazooka no. show. Yeah, exactly. It's just not good. Not good at all. Mm. I, I really, the more I thought about this film, the more I disliked it. Partially because it had all the pieces in place to be, as I said, a good movie. It just ended up being what it was. And even with, like, Oscar Isaac has a small but memorable role in this. Mm-hmm. He actually is the character I'm like, God, I wish this movie was about him instead of these other characters. Yeah, sure. Every once in a while he breaks into song and dance. Everybody has a good time. <laughs> you know, it's like, this is like... I know Jim Thompson has deeply influenced a lot of Cohen Brothers' works, but this really does feel like like a Jim Thompson book that he would have just crumpled up halfway through, thrown away. Like, nah, this will never work. So, because I mean, he deals with noir with like anti-hero characters, but mm-hmm. there's nothing heroic on any level about any of the primary characters in nope. this film. They're all just they're thoroughly disgusting human beings. And you're like, why should I care what happens to them? And Matt Damon's chew acting was so mediocre. His what acting? His chew acting. Chew acting. Yeah, it's when you when you're you're eating food but still oh, talking. Sure, he does like, do some degree. He worked with Brad Pitt, one of the greatest chew actors of all time. <laughs> he pretty much does it in every scene. Yes. Yeah, you know, it's like how Matthew McConaughey has to take his shirt off once a movie. Brad Pitt has to be eating a sandwich or something. Yeah, he's got to have dialogue. He's got to. It's in his I, that's a great contract to have. That's like George Costanza's <laughs> whole deal. It's like eating a sandwich and having sex. Um if you do want to see this, and I know a lot of people are still like, yeah, I know everybody's saying they don't like it, but there's like just such, you know, I mean, it's written by the Coen brothers, George Clooney directing. I still want to check it out for myself. Fine. Maybe you'll be one of those who really does like it. And if so, there's an audio commentary with uh, the, uh, George Clooney and his co-writer, Grant Heslov. Uh, there is a 30-minute um, Welcome to Suburbicon, which is basically them just sort of looking at all aspects of the making of the film. Uh, there's a 12-and-a-half-minute uh, look at the casting of it, and then there's an eight-minute look at Ale- Alexandra Desplat's score to the film. But yeah, this is, once again, huge disappointment. Yep. Not my pick of the week. Uh, and then we have The Square, which ended up on a lot of critics' lists for, at, at the very least, for the countdown, the nominees for Best Foreign uh, Language Film this year. Mm. And I can see why. The Square is not going to be to everyone's taste. Um, it's one of those films I actually enjoyed more the more I thought about it than I did as I was watching it, where I'm like, that was interesting. I'm not sure I understood everything that was happening in it, but there's no question it was showing me things I've never seen in a movie before. Oh. From what I took away from it was, yeah, I've been friends with lots of artists, and this movie is, like most artists, up its own ass. It It, it is, certainly. Um, but it's also kind of making fun of that. I feel like, to some degree, the film is like is is objectifying them as saying, aren't all artists up their own ass? In a sort of. Way. Like, not like I'm saying that they are, but I'm saying it feels like that's it's par it's self parody. I mean, it's play it, it centers around a guy named Christian, uh, played by Clays Bang, who I've seen in other stuff, but like you know, foreign actor, mm-hmm. and he's curator of an art museum in Stockholm. Uh, when it starts, he's inter- interviewing uh, Elizabeth Moss. 
uh, about one of his latest, who's a journalist about one of his latest, uh, shows in the museum. Um, and it's, it starts with like, there's some question about what he's doing. Like some people don't like this new exhibit that's going on in the museum here, uh, which is very confrontational, uh, with people, you know, it's, it is a struggle that I remember hearing other stories about at other museums where people were like, Oh, well this exhibit, it may be art, but people are going to be angry. So maybe we shouldn't do this. Mm-hmm. Always that political question. What is art? What should art be allowed to do? What is okay for that? You know, it deals with that to some extent. Um, Ultimately, I'm not really entirely sure other than this guy who's going to stick by his plan no matter what finds himself falling from grace. But it's re- this film's more enjoyable from the weird little vignettes that happen during it. Like the sequence where he discovers that he's been robbed mm-hmm. was actually quite amusing because I didn't see it happening either. I was like, I bet you that's a real scam that people use to pickpocket people. That's actually pretty good. Joe, you and I should get on that. Uh, or a sequence where um, he goes to, to hang out with, with Elizabeth Moss, and for some reason there's a chimpanzee in the house as her roommate, which is never really fully explained or understood. But, you know, the part everybody talks about, of course, is there's a big dinner for all the, the people who donate to the museum, the sponsors, you know, very rich, fancy people. And they're like, okay, so now here's the thing that we consider a showpiece to give you a feel for what the the show is. And there's this dude who comes in who is like shirtless and hugely muscular and scary and disheveled looking. Who's acting like a crazed gorilla who's going around and like, like it's all these people and like sort of batting at their heads and screaming. And you're like, what the fuck is going on? But I found that very entertaining. That was the part where I was like, oh, okay, see, this is no longer uh, uh, satire or parody. This is just straight up trying to make an artistic statement. And I was like, and fuck you. I, <laughs> I mean, I think it's trying to do better. But I found that sequence very funny. It's like the idea like this g- group of rich people who are like, oh, yes, we support the arts who are being dealt – who are dealing with very confrontational in-your-face art and are absolutely sickened and terrified and angry buy it. Mm-hmm. It's like the movie's trying to question, so what is it that you like about art anyway? You just want to see pictures of sailboats? Yeah, shit should look like shit. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I have a feeling this movie's going to be a lot more interested to people who are actively involved in the art scene because uh, I know there's lots of stuff I just missed that was going on here. I'm like, okay, I don't even know what they're talking about to some degree, you know, outside of the most basic level. But, you know, Whatever. Dominic West is in it too. Um, I, I can't say I didn't enjoy watching it to some degree, but it's not something I'm going to go back and watch again. Yeah. But yeah. I, I couldn't blame someone else if they were like, oh, I totally loved it. Uh, much better. And I thought uh, probably definitely my pick of the week this week, even though it's not going to be for everyone, is the Criterion release of the Ken Loach film, I, Daniel Blake. Now, if you've ever seen Ken Loach movies, all his movies kind of deal with socialist uh Criticism of of society based on his socialist ideals. It's usually mm. poor, underprivileged people dealing with uh, labyrinthine government things that prevent them from getting what they need, just the basics to survive. Homelessness, this- labor rights. This is no exception nope. to that rule, although many are saying, and me not being far from an expert on Loach, I've seen maybe two of his other films. A lot of people say this is the culmination, like the best thing he's done in of this type of work, which definitely is the guy knows what he likes to talk about. That's for sure. <laughs> um, and I did. I had I, I really genuinely enjoyed watching this film. I thought it was so incredibly well made and well acted. Uh, Daniel Blake 
the 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 titular character played here by Dave Johns is a 59 year old guy living in Newcastle who uh, he he's a guy who works on construction sites he had a heart attack at work his cardiologist says no you cannot go back to work but due to basically unreasonably extreme assessments through the, the big, you know, trying to be on the dole through the government. Uh, they say, no, I, we see no reason that you shouldn't be able, you shouldn't be able to work. So, um, we're not going to give you a support allowance whatsoever. Um, and, uh, sorry, you're just going to have to get a job after all. And he's trying to figure out, he's going through the, you know, almost a Brazilish level of like, <laughs> like convoluted shit he has to go through. So a system that just doesn't give a fuck and has slowly over time evolved itself into something where we're not really here to help anybody. <laughs> we're yeah. here because people think we're supposed to, but on the whole, we're here to keep people from getting help. Not actually. Yeah, well, help we're here because uh, we're getting paid and we have to stick to the rules. Otherwise we won't get paid. Yeah, it's uh God. I was, let's have something on NPR the other day. I was talking about the FCC. It says, here's the thing about government agencies. Even after long, after they serve no purpose anymore, they won't go away. They'll just find, another reason for existing, even if it serves the exact opposite of what their original purpose was supposed to be. Sure. <laughs> and this feels like one of those things. But ultimately, he ends up defending uh, a single mom uh, named Katie, uh, played by Haley Squires here, and her children uh, because she arrived like a minute late for a job center appointment and was being denied any help. And he ends up sort of adopting them and helping them even while he himself is slowly running out of money and time. Yeah, and it's just kind of watching this sweet relationship with this guy who's behaving in such an co incredibly compassionate way, despite the fact that no one else in this movie is, you know, the state itself is the exact opposite of compassion. Yeah, it was nice to see a, a central character who's not really gritty, who's yeah. just just a, a common decent person, just trying to deal with absurdity. Yeah, I mean, just showing that, like, giving you this sense of human nobility. And I, I feel like even though this the film's ending is very bittersweet, it leaves you with the sense that, like, it's because of people like that that other people learn what is important, you know? Like, if you're not – even if it feels like you're banging your head against the wall, it's really the, a symbol to other people to show, like, hey, that person being selfless showed other people the value of occasionally being selfless. Yeah, I wish it had done a little bit more with that towards the end because the end did just feel a little sudden. It, well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that's kind of the point. You know what I mean? Like, because these sort of things do happen. Well, sure, but like the after effect, you know, just, just a little bit something more. Yeah, I can see that. Um, and, and like I said, this is a very real world, not gritty, but like a very sort of like uh, fly on a wall type approach mm -hmm. uh, of these things. But the performances are so good. And I just found this a very sweet film. It won the Palm d'Or uh, Palm Door at uh, the 2016 Cannes Film Festival. Um, it's funny. It's sad. It'll make you angry, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, but it's a Criterion edition, so there's a commentary by Loach and the writer. There's uh, about eight minutes of deleted scenes. There's an hour-and-a-half-minute documentary on the history of Ken Loach's movies, which is pretty cool. So, yeah, if you're a Ken Loach fan. And there's a 38-minute How to Make a Ken Loach Film, which is a behind-the-scenes documentary about the making of this film. So, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. But once again, like on any other given week, this would not have been my pick of the week. But no. Slim pickings, <laughs> as they say. I did also kind of enjoy, although it felt like it was just the backbone of a better movie, uh, this boxing drama from, from Britain called Jawbone. It, you know, boxing is like the one sport I actually will watch on occasion and super get into. When okay. I, you know, I'll like someone like, you want to come over and watch the boxing match? I'm like, yeah, I'll totally watch a boxing match. That's fun. Let's watch <laughs> you guys beat the living hell out of each other. But in general, 
boxing movies are one of my favorite genres. Like some of my favorite movies are boxing movies. I love the Rocky series. I love Cinderella Man, criminally underseen Cinderella Man. And of course, a lot of people still haven't seen Warrior, which technically is an MMA film, but let's face it, it's a boxing film. <laughs> uh, this particular movie follows what seems like it's going to be going straight down those similar lines that we've seen before. But it actually takes a little bit of a different tact here, um, with Ray Winstone playing a guy who owns a gym and, uh, who's, you know, older guy and he, and is a trainer. And we see Johnny Harris, this guy, Jimmy McCabe, who's this totally alcoholic down, you know, just down on his luck completely. Ex-boxer. Yeah. Ex-Wunderkind. Yeah. He, when he was a teenager, he was like, looked like he was going to be the next big thing. And he fell out of it, started doing jobs for the local crime groups and what have you. And now he's at, at nowhere, but he wants to get his life back together. He comes in, he begs him, I promise you, I won't bring any alcohol in here. Please let me just train here at the gym again. And it really feels like this is the type of film that's going to go down the regular path we expect it to. You know, the beat, 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 beat. Yeah. This is, you know, of like, as he, yes, he d- does it. Oh, he has a bit of a fall, but then he gets back up again and then he ends up winning the big fight. And it's not, this is more of a social commentary film, much like I, Daniel Blake, <laughs> about the situation in England and how it's not really helping anyone. And, and, you know, even if you try really hard to pull yourself up, everything is trying to keep you down. Yeah. Yeah. Like this guy, I mean, it, it wasn't the the usual like wrestling with demons. I mean, there was, but it, he did genuinely seem like he was trying to turn his shit around. Yeah, um, and is you know has some interesting character appearances. Ian McShane has a small appearance as a guy who basically can get him in with a group to let him fight in underground fights, which if you're not fully licensed is the only way to make money as a fighter. Right. And I expected like, uh, you know, he was not much in there. I expected him to like come back and, and like, ha ha ha, all a part of my whatever. I'm going to fuck you even more. But like, no, <laughs> no, it was just, it was, a, no. it was a fun little scene with Ian McShane where you're like, this guy genuinely likes, cares about this guy. And, and is like warning him off a bit. Cause he clearly has got his fingers in some dirty pies. He's kind of <laughs> straddling legal and illegal, but is like, seems to care for this kid regardless. Yeah. Uh, you know, Ray Winstone being like as gruff as he is, is ultimately just wants to do right by this kid. It's at the end, I was like, well, that kind of felt like it went nowhere. And I do kind of stick with it. I was like, yeah, it kind of went nowhere. But I, one thing I'll say here, like I said, great performances and the boxing scenes were really interestingly filmed. I've never mm-hmm. really seen anything like it. I've seen so many fight movies and this just, I don't know how to describe it. It just did it differently. Where I was like, I've never seen a, a boxing match shot like this before. Yeah, I agree. I, I had fun watching it. I did too. I mean, but, I knew but what, definitely once again, like, meh. I don't know if I'd revisit it. Nah. But I, but it's one of those movies where you're like, oh, this director Thomas Q. Napper, who's a relative newcomer, I believe, is somebody I would definitely be interested in watching whatever they do next. There's more than enough interesting stuff from a directorial point of view here that I'm like, okay, this is well worth checking out. And- Maybe we should warn him to not marry Madonna. Oh, right. <laughs> Just don't be, don't become that much of Guy Ritchie. I don't know if I felt this was all that Guy Ritchie. Oh, it wasn't. I mean, Just, this the guy was in rock and roll, and that's about it. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, but yeah, that's Jawbone, for what it's worth. And then we have Chasing the Dragon. Uh-oh. Which, as you might imagine, is both a film about drugs and is our, Real magical dragons. Is our, no, not real magical dragons. Is our Hong Kong movie of the week. <laughs> Which I tend to try and get the Hong Kong movies when you're on because I know you've got a big background in Asian cinema mm-hmm. as well. And this is um, okay. <laughs> I mean, I didn't dislike it, but I didn't really feel like it was going anywhere that I hadn't seen before. I mean, sure, you get Donnie Yen, 
playing um, crippled the character Cripple Ho is based on a real life gangster Ning Sek Ho. Yeah, do not make fun of the Cripple Ho thing. No. <laughs> he will still have you killed. Very he was dead about that. And Andy Lau playing the role Lee Rock, which interestingly, this is kind of a reboot of a film series that originally starred Andy Lau playing that character that was called <laughs> Lee Rock that were very, very popular when they came out, like in the early 90s, I believe. Um, I never saw those films. But this is a return to that story, which previously didn't really in- include the a major character of the gangster. This is based on kind of the relationship between these two, is Lee Rock is a deeply corrupt police officer who um, – ends up making a deal with this wannabe up-and-coming gangster who was just an immigrant. And uh, together they sort of have this partnership where neither one of them ever totally trusts each other until, of course, eventually things go bad. And, right. You know, and the whole city erupts in violence as oh, it's giant gang versus giant Can't gang versus no. the police. You know, one of the things about this is, like, you get Donnie Yen in a movie, you're like, isn't this supposed to have really big action scenes? And – no, not this one. This isn't that kind of movie. It's Yen trying to prove that he can act. And I think he's a solid actor. Yeah, overall. no, he's perfectly fine. I mean, and everyone knows Andy Lau's a great actor. He's He gets a lot more kudos for his acting ability than he does his martial arts ability. But Yen is better known for that other side. Here, even though there's a decent amount of fighting, it's not one of those check out these moves type of movie. It's more <laughs> sort of just street fighting stuff. And it's more about the plot, which is very trying to be epic gangland story. Yeah, kind of, but it it doesn't it, it falls a little hollow on that. But what it does do well is atmosphere. Yeah, like uh, there was some 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 good song choices, and there were some new songs in there that were trying to mimic the style of the older songs. Which, if you just listen to the words a little bit, sound ridiculous. But in passing, they're they're, they're pretty. Funny. Wait, what is this about the songs? Uh, I it sounded like one of the songs. Uh, because they were talking about dragons and crap in it. Yeah. I think it was an original song that they did that was in the style of an older song. Okay. Yeah, so you'd know more about that stuff than I do. I, I really don't. As much as I watch a, a lot of Asian cinema, I my brain turns off when starting to think about, like, J-pop. <laughs> I'm like, nope, don't care. Not interested. Not my thing. Especially since almost every star of, of Hong Kong film is also a multi-platinum a singer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever that's worth. Even Jackie Chan. Especially people, Jackie. People are like, Jackie's got to put out a bunch of really terrible records <laughs> that people <laughs> love for some reason. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think there's like, there's enough here that even your average, like, not a Hong Kong movie fan could really enjoy this. Uh, yes, because it's not as disjointed as a lot of Hong Kong films are, where oh, they yeah. just, like, make, they're like, oh, hey, we're just going to do this thing, and you're just going to fill in the gaps yourself. Yeah. You know, it doesn't do that too much. No. Um, this is yet another, I mean, Andy Lau has been making, I think the last three or four weeks we've reviewed an Andy Lau film. They're pumping out one after another. In fact, next week, next show I'm doing after this, we're doing an Andy Lau film. There you go. Um and he really is great, but I'm like, what are you paying for a new house? What's going on here? <laughs> it's just you're trying to do an awful lot. But there's such good work from both of the main actors here and their chemistry with each other that I feel like, you know, despite in a lot of ways this being overly familiar. And yes, it is. Not only is it Lau redoing a character, but it is, in fact, a remake even of a film called To Be Number One. <laughs> um, there's a lot very familiar, but... Ultimately, it's a pleasant ride, I thought. Yeah, and it just makes you want to have uh, uh, Kyber Crystal Dudes, the Star Wars story. 
to happen. <laughs> okay, I guess. <laughs> well, I mean, I really liked uh, Yen's character in in Rogue One. And yeah, I, I, I just want to see a movie of him and other dude, just like I know, like if you want to do a spinoff story, do one about what where what his story is before that. Right. Like, exactly. Obviously, you're not going to do one after. Well, that'd be boring. Yeah, it's just like, and he disintegrated. He's well. still dead. <laughs> He's still dead. Uh, all right, so next one is one you did not get to see, and it's sad because I think this is the one that. What I was hoping maybe Geostorm would do for you, this might have. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is Jackie Chan Presents, which is his whole new label. Right. Uh, reset. And this is a really storyline dumb uh, sci-fi action movie that is moves fast enough and is fun enough that you don't really care how dumb it is. I mean, it really is dumb. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, wait, none of this makes any sense at all in the plot that you're trying to tell me here. And partially because it it conflates time travel and parallel universes in a way that never is explained or makes any sense whatsoever in the plot. But basically, Yang Mi plays a research scientist who works for this big corporation, um, uh, Nexus, uh, she works at the very highest level. They're trying to develop wormhole technology to go to parallel universes. Why? Not really sure. But the problem is that when they've done it with test animals, the test animals over a very short period of time, something in their DNA starts degrading and they start turning super aggressive uh, and then eventually die. Um, so uh, somebody shows up who has been uh, played by Wallace Hua, who has been hired to steal this research and he kidnaps the son of of the researcher in question is the main character and says, you have one hour to bring me all the research on this weird little tubey thing that I guess is near futuristic way of storing data. Okay. Um, and, or I'm going to kill your son. Well, she grabs it. She gets it, gets out of the building, brings it to him, but she kill He kills her son anyway. So, uh, she goes back to the building, uses the particle accelerator to travel to a parallel universe, but back in time by two hours. Don't ask me because the movie never bothers to try and well, explain. Well, what's the her, point? Her, her actual kid ain't going to be yeah. unkilled. I guess because if it's a close enough parallel universe, it's close enough. I don't know. There's like That's the biggest problem in this movie <laughs> is that it never explains really how any of that works. In fact, there's whole scenes where there's – because she does it multiple times. She groundhog stays that shit kind of like, well, okay. that didn't work either. Go back and try again. But the problem is every time it does it, it creates another double of her. So there's all these doubles of her who are – Sometimes working against each other, sometimes working with each other to try and save the kid and get out alive. Hmm. And it turns very convoluted and kind of fun. Even like I said, once again, like this makes no sense. Dumb, but they like one of them is for reasons that are not clear at all. Complete badass. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're like, how did you turn into a total badass? I guess that's the movies. Remember parallel dimensions. I'm like, yeah. But okay. And but that doesn't make sense because it's her. Every time it's her from the previous, every version of her is like, should be, it should be more like multiplicity where it's like, okay, maybe every version's slightly different after she jumps because the DNA damage, I guess. I don't know. But how the DNA damage could make you into a mega badass, I have no idea. Well, that's because you're not a geneticist. Yeah, I guess, I guess not. Maybe that's the problem. But I mean, it's goofy enough that I had a lot of fun with it regardless. And it had some surprisingly solid action sequences in here. But, um, yeah, it's, you can, you, you kind of watch this on a level of like, wow, that, was super goofy. Uh, it's got some beautiful cinematography in it as well, strangely, and sequences you don't expect. But, um, yeah, 
you know, it's it's all right, but not far from essential. What is essential is our final movie of the day. You the- son of a bitch. <laughs> I was so like, oh, you're going to love this one, Joe. This is the latest film from the Austin, what is the Austin, John- or not Austin, American genre film archive, which historically has not put out great movies. They're, and keeping with that they're like They're like, if Criterion only puts out, like, the best of films that are made, films are highly regarded in art circles, and Arrow and Shout Factory put out some of the best of like horror and genre and like little hidden gems. These are the guys who sweep the floor at the end of the day. They say what has MS what has MST3K not gotten rights yeah, to? Yeah, this is stuff that like even MST3K was like, is there any point to making fun <laughs> of this? I mean, they re- we did recently their uh, version of um, uh, Bat Pussy, which is the most unwatchable thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Don't even don't even look it up. It's that bad. Done. Yeah, it's yeah. it's famous for being the worst porn movie ever made and someone went, "Let's put out a Blu-ray and fix it up as much as possible, <laughs> spend money on it and get extras." What? Why? <laughs> this is I will hand it to this film The Sword and the Claw, which is a Turkish uh fantasy action film. It's bad. But I did have fun watching it. <laughs> I, I mean, I was just sitting here doing MST3K stuff my, in a room by myself watching it. You can't help it. I could. I could help it. You, you just totally did not enjoy this on any yeah, level? was not into it. Man, Tur- the thing is, four Turkish films like from this period of the 70s, this is practically blockbuster high-quality entertainment compared to some of the like Turkish Star Wars or any of that stuff. Well, possibly. I mean, this is a lot better than some of that other stuff but you know which isn't to say that this is good because it's not and it ends up it's like a story of a king who's overthrown and murdered and i guess he's sleeping with two people yeah uh, he, was, he was getting some strange on the side yeah and so he got them both pregnant and the one son who was from the official queen was like was was cast out and and got away and the other son was he had with the woman that the guy who ousted the king was sleeping with as well and so he thought it was his son not knowing it's not because conveniently they have a birthmark in the shape of an incredibly elaborate and detailed tattoo very elaborate (laughs) the most elaborate birthmark of all time um and of course the film's like you know he's sending his son out who's a right bastard out go and find this guy who's like who's apparently this super badass who has a tiger claw style that he fights in yeah he just he just gives you the tickles yeah he kind of <laughs> it looks like he's tickling people and but he, when he pulls his hand away there's blood oh bloody tickles yeah but it's really deep tickling and so the guy's this badass and he teams up with a team of rebels and uh and then, of course, it all comes down to, like, they get caught, but then it's revealed that they're brothers, and the evil brother suddenly turns not evil, because family is everything, baby. Well, and, you know, he's the son of Lion Dude. Yes, indeed, I guess. And also brother of Lion Dude. Oh, yeah. And let's because not- because the, the birthmark is a lion. <laughs> yes. Oh, and let's not forget, Tiger Claw Brother gets his hands, I don't know, acid or something? I'm not sure what they put on him. Yeah. Where they're, like, unusable, so somebody gives him, like, actual, like, a mechanism for actual Tiger Claws that he can wear on his, like, unusable hands, so he can be (laughs) even more of a badass and do, in a land made of trampolines. (laughs) Yes. We're like, literally, this movie is just people bouncing and then clawing each other. Well, and when he claws people, he does it with the technique of a grandpa about to tickle children. He does. It's not very convincing what I would say martial arts on any level. <laughs> would you even call it martial arts? I don't, I don't, I don't know. But, and he's got a weird classic like 60s 
uh, dad bod. Yeah. To where he's he's a very striking man. Like he's very handsome. And then he's supposed to be buff, but he just kind of looks like a, a uniform slab of meat. He, he does. Um, I don't know. This is one of those movies I would say that for people who like watching Mystery Science Theater stuff and want to do their own thing for a movie with beers that they haven't done, this would be a good choice for it. Because it's, it's goofy. It moves really fast. It's a, a, like it, there's not a lot of not ridiculous scenes in this. No. And like I said, it kills me. Like This is Trampolines, the movie. It really is. Everybody just bounces everywhere they go. They're just constantly boing, boing, boing. <laughs> like Every action scene is them boing, tumbling, and doing flips and stuff. And you're like, they're just the Turkish are just really into trampolines. They love them. Uh, anyway, so if you this is your sort of thing, this Blu-ray release of this, that makes me laugh even to say that, also comes with a whole other bonus film called Brawl Busters, which is actually kind of a similar plot, although with a female main character trying to avenge her dad's death. Um, it's another really dumb action movie that is is not very good. It's not as funny as the primary film, but, you know, whatever. What you gonna do? You get yeah. two films for one. Uh, and then there's a bunch of trailers from the AGFA Vault, which is which is actually kind of cool. I mean, it's ten minutes of it, and th- this is actually a pretty decent party background thing, because it's all movies like this, but just the action scenes and trailers. You know, you're like, okay, that's fun. That's a, as much of a movie like this you even want to watch, generally, is the trailer. Oh, true. Right? They should just leap it at Barbarella. I'm sure all this stuff, right? I'm sure all this stuff is from the, uh, the Alamo Drafthouse uh, guys who do the slides or the screensavers at the beginning <laughs> yeah. of the film. It's from their archives. A lot of this stuff, I'm like, yeah, I've seen that before. And, uh, and sure enough, I believe some of the people involved with the Drafthouse uh, own this or are partners in this company. Oh, so. it would make sense. Yeah, this is, I mean, it's... It's trash, but it's entertaining trash, I guess. More Just than, like us. More than I can see. Yeah, right. More than I can say, give me your PBR. What are you doing? You don't get any more of that. The <laughs> PBR tall boy. How dare you call me trash? <laughs> go, 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 go. Um, yeah, it's more than I can say for uh, G- uh, Geostorm. I, I liked it better than Geostorm. Yeah, yeah. right? I yeah, definitely. considerably more entertaining than Geostorm. <laughs> All right, well, that is it for this week's, or actually, this episode of Digital Noise. If I have time, I'm going to get a second one up uh, at the end of this week, because I'm recording one on Thursday with Aaron. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, thank you, Joe, for joining me. Hey, always a pleasure for you. <laughs> I like that. Can I steal that? Let's go for it. Always a pleasure for you. It is. It really is always a pleasure for me. Bling. Although you didn't, you just brought the one PBR tall boy, so. Yeah, there's a lot of backwash. It's, I wouldn't recommend it. Has some chaw on it. <laughs> well, it's, it's got some grit. Ah, fair enough. I don't like the grit of my PBR tall boy. 